Welcome to Resilience Unraveled, featuring scientists, practitioners, experts and everyday people with knowledge, tips, experience and great stories to share to help you get a grip of your life. We'll give you insights into a range of subjects, including reducing your stress, improving your emotional intelligence, health and well-being and controlling your negative thoughts. By doing this, you'll be able to improve your resilience, confidence, control and perform better every day to live a more productive and purposeful life. For a free resilience ebook, listen through to the end for details. Here's your host, Dr. Russell Thackeray. So today I'm talking, talking to Dr. Neil Stanley. I'm very interested to, um, to talk to him because he's... Um, you know, I'm going to talk about one of my favourite subjects, one of my favourite subjects in all the world, and that subject is sleep. So, Neil, good afternoon. Good afternoon. So, how would you describe to people what it is you do? What I currently do, I've been doing for probably the last uh, 10 years or so, is I'm a, an independent sleep expert. So, I spend my life travelling the world, talking about the importance of sleep to pretty much anybody who'll listen. So that uh, mainly is, is healthcare professionals, doctors and nurses, um, but also you know, other interested audiences like schools, charities, uh, or even just you know, the general public. So I, I, a number of years ago, realized that you can't change the world, you can only change individuals. And so by becoming independent, it's allowed me to you know, go to places where other sleep experts would, you know, not be able to, or should we say not be bothered to go to. So, you know, I'm happy standing up in a, in a bed showroom talking about sleep to 10 people on a wet Wednesday afternoon, because if I can change one of those people's mind uh, about the importance of sleep, then I feel that's a, a job well done. Hmm. It surprised me because I'm. I'd be. I would. I would be amazed if there was anyone left on the planet who didn't think that sleep was important. Well, I mean, I think the problem is we all know uh, that sleep's important, um, but we just don't feel that there's enough of a reason to do it. If you see what I mean, if you think about it, a hundred years ago, it was really quite easy to get a good night's sleep. You you came home from work. You had your meal, uh, you put the last log on the fire, when it started getting cold, you went to bed. It, it wasn't difficult. Now we have so much uh, that appears to be better, more interesting, more exciting than a good night's sleep, and we, we haven't made that connection. Um, there's, there's some research a few years, a couple of years ago, showing that teenagers are the most aware about the negatives of poor sleep and yet they're the least likely to change their behavior. And you know, just the end of last year, um, the CEO of Netflix said that you know, he wasn't worried about Amazon and people like that. His biggest competitor was a good night's sleep or, or sleep itself. And so there, there is this, there is this you know, streaming, Facebook, all these things are designed for you to, you know, access 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They don't want you not looking at them because that's how they, you know, their business model is selling advertising. So they want you to be consuming. So, so you know, we, we live in an era where we have, for the first time, the ubiquity of an excuse to stay awake. You know, when I was growing up in the 
70s, you, you know, your only option was to read under the covers with a torch. Um, you know, TV went off at 11 o'clock, pubs closed at 11 o'clock, late night shopping was 6 o'clock on a Thursday. So you actually had to try to stay awake. Now people feel that, as I say, watching, binge watching the latest show is more exciting than sleep, even though, as you say, people should really know that sleep's important, that it does you good, um, and to to endanger that, you do so at your peril. So, in and what and in what I'm trying to say, I suppose I'm trying to say, how is sleep good for you? In which ways is it good good for you? Well, sleep sleep's important because basically it's involved in in, in balance, in homeostasis. So. Everything about the day from physical activity to mental activity needs to be held in balance for us to be happy and healthy. And sleep plays a central part in that. It's a time for the body to rest and recuperate, but more importantly, it's a time for the brain to be able to rest and recuperate. It's a time for laying down memories, for dealing with emotions, for learning new behaviours and new new uh, new thoughts, new new words, everything like that. It's the only time we physically grow, um, and so you know, the, it, like anything, if something is in balance, then it is good. If it's imbalanced, um, as, as one word, then it is not good, and so. Poor sleep, you know, on a daily basis will mean the next day you don't do as well at work, your reaction time, your memory is affected, your personal relationships are affected, you'll have more arguments with your partner, uh, you'll be less likely to make up after that argument, you'll lack empathy, uh, you'll look more unattractive and more miserable uh, through lack of sleep. Um, and you'll, you'll be at a greater risk of uh, developing the infection. Uh, the, the research has shown that if you have poor sleep, you're three times more likely to catch the common cold. Uh, Long-term poor sleep's been associated with pretty much every major illness, heart disease, diabetes, depression, obesity, stroke, and even some cancers have been related to poor sleep. So there's no good thing about poor sleep. The problem is that we, as I say, just accept it. It's not one of those things that happens, to, you know, you have a bad night to, tonight, you, you know, bad things will happen to you tomorrow. Mm. You just won't feel great. The problem is we've somehow accepted not feeling great as, as our standard. Right. Even though we spend a lot of money, you know, taking multivitamins or going to the gym or drinking energy drinks trying to feel better we still don't do the one thing that could make us feel better each and every night, which is getting a good night's sleep. So in a way, we should approach being asleep with the sort of vigour and interest that we approach being awake in terms of maximising the benefits that come from the sleep itself. Yeah, I mean, when people ask me um, how to get a good night's sleep or what you need for a good night's sleep, my answer is always the thing that you need, the first thing that you need for a good night's sleep is to see that sleep's important. Because if you don't, then you won't do those behaviours. So, you know, sleep is more important than diet or exercise uh, in, in terms of good health. And indeed, good sleep supports good, good diet and good exercise. 
Uh, and so you need to prioritize sleep. You know, people find time and money to go to the gym, to eat healthily. Um, they need to do the same with sleep. And it should be, you know, the third pillar or the you know, third part of the well-being triangle. Good diet, good exercise, good sleep. Mm. Yeah, it's, yes. it's staggering that it's not when you think about it, isn't it? Well, the problem with sleep is there's no money to be made in it. I mean, lots of people are trying their best to, but the, the thing is, I mean, who owns sleep? It's not, it's not something that anybody can own uh, as, as a concept. You know, for, you know, we all know companies that, you know, are in the diet industry. We all know uh, companies in the, you know, the wellness industry. We can all name our local gym. But within, within terms of sleep, who, who does it fall to, to, to push the message of good sleep? I suppose, you, you either I suppose the, bed, the bed companies must be the obvious places, and, and I'm guessing that a good yeah. night's sleep starts with a decent bed, is it? Well, I mean, you, you, would, you would hope so, but, you know, the, the, bed, the bed companies, you know, none of them are that big uh, in, you know, in terms of, you know, global firepower, in terms of, you know, none of them have the resources of you know a company like Weight Watchers. Mm. Um, so you know, to, so so that's the issue that you know in Britain alone, I think there's something like a hundred or so bed manufacturers. I mean, some of them are slightly big, but the vast majority is sort of one man in a shed type thing. So it, it's there isn't really that. You know, it, 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 there's no easy way of, of, of shall we say, making money. Uh, you, know, you say the bed industry, but they would buy a bed for another ten years. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, so, so you know, there isn't really, um, you know, that that marketing, that that sort of, it, it's it's not really been made sexy. You know, you if you if you look in a celebrity magazine, you'll see. Um, you know, every celebrity talking about their diet uh, and their gym and, and you know the name of their instructor, you know the name of the brand of clothing they wear. But nobody says anything important about the positives of sleep. You know, no, no celebrity really sort of endorses the idea of, of good sleep. Hmm. It's funny, isn't it? The more you're talking about it, the more you're opening my mind to that because you're right. You're making an assumption that sleep's, I suppose, so ordinary and so natural that you don't really need to spend much time thinking about it. And there, and there, because there is the problem, because actually, yeah, what you're uh, saying, because you don't ascribe importance to it, then we don't take care of it. Yeah, I mean, if you if you look at the the whole bed in a box um, uh, revolution that's taking now, that you can order a, a bed online, a one size fit all old bed that is delivered to your doorstep and that this is somehow good because you know the it, buying a bed is such a terribly complex process according to these companies mm. well you know it it you you, you go to a, a car showroom and you want the car salesman to talk to you about the car and you want to test drive the car you go to a hi-fi showroom you want the high, the shop assistant to tell you about the differences between hi-fis and you'll go to the room and listen to your hi-fi so you understand how it works so why is somehow a bed different it's like it is so ordinary it is such a 
a, a dull purchase in people's minds that they can literally buy a cheap one-size-fits-all solution to something they're going to spend a third of their life in. Yeah. It, we, we, this is what I, I said earlier about not according it the importance. You're going to spend more time asleep in bed than you will spend in any one other place in your life. Mm. And yet it's the thing that we give least thought to unfortunately i mean do we do we actually need a bed because i'm i'm guessing for the you know the majority of our existence we've not really had the you know the idea of a bed we tend to sleep on floors or mattresses or something we have we have we have the oldest known bed is is uh uh years old it was found in a cave in south africa wow uh, and it's uh, it it okay it would it would appear to have been some sort of sack stuffed with grasses and herbs to keep the bugs away um but Certainly, you know, as, as long as we've had uh, bedrooms, the poor people, poor people have slept on beds as long as we've had bedrooms, which is about uh, 500 years. The rich have always had beds. I mean, there are beds in, in, in Egypt and that. So the rich people have had beds. The poor people had a sack on the floor. Uh, and the ideal thing about a sack on the floor was... You could adjust the tension perfectly well. You could stuff it thicker or thinner. You could put fragrant herbs in to keep your bed bugs and your, your uh, other nasty, bitey insects away. Uh, so they are the ideal customizable beds. Yes. And so when when you're looking for a bed and you want to take a bit of time, because that's a good place to start, what, what sort of things should we look out for? Um, is it really just about trying them and seeing if they're comfortable? Absolutely, there's no, science can't measure comfortable. Um, it's, it's not. It's not a scientific criteria. So you need to find a bed that is comfortable for you. Basically, that means when you're on your side, um, your spine is straight. When you're on the back, it preserves a slight curve of the spine that you have when you stand up, and you should think of it as comfortable. And then you should lay on the bed for 20, uh, 20 minutes, turning into all the positions that you can imagine. Uh, and see if you can do that easily and comfortably. And it can only be, you know, personal choice. The, spe the, the, the specifications of a mattress and even the price of a mattress doesn't uh, doesn't tell you anything about the comfort. You you have to get on the bed. Mm. Okay. And um, and I'm, we, I'm thinking, you know, I googled a bunch of sleeping myths the other day, and I was, you know, in preparation for our chat. And one of the things that comes to the Top of the top of the um, pile is you know how long should people sleep for, and there's this idea that everybody should sleep for seven hours a night. The the thing with sleep is that it's genetically determined and it's individual. So it's like height; we're all different. So just as you have short sleepers and long sleepers, you have uh, short people and tall people, and in the same way as height there's not a lot you can do about it. I mean, I'm two meters tall, which I love, except for when I fly uh, economy class, and I hate it. But I can stand at the airport wishing as much as I can to be shorter, and it doesn't happen. And the same with sleep. The important thing about sleep is for you to get the number of hours sleep that you need as an individual. Uh, that can be anywhere between about four and 11 hours. So if you're a four-hour night person, you need to get four hours a night. If you're an 11-hour night person, you need to get 11 hours a night to feel at your best. Um, and you need to do that every night. So 
So it's about getting that sleep you need. And essentially, the sleep you need is the sleep that allows you to wake up and feel refreshed, awake and alert during the day. If you feel awake, alert, focused during the day, essentially you've had enough sleep. If you feel sleepy during the day, you almost certainly haven't had enough sleep. Mm. And are there... um are there good routines that people can learn to help themselves get to sleep? Because, I mean, we're particularly in our world interested in this idea that you optimise your brain. And one of the best ways to optimise your brain for the day so you can manage your emotions and thoughts is that you get a good night's sleep. And a lot of people say there's a sort of um, self-defeating circle here that if you're anxious, you worry, you, you tend not to sleep so well, and that makes you more and more anxious. So is there a way of being able to develop a routine that, that helps people? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you, you're, you're quite right. You're the biggest enemy of sleep is, is worry, stress, anxiety. You cannot sleep if you don't have a quiet mind. So you need to quieten the mind uh, before you go to sleep. You need to put the day to one side. So, you know, don't open the gas bill just before you go to bed. Don't have an argument with your partner um don't think about you know how you're going to pay the mortgage don't think about work don't text your boss late at night it doesn't impress anybody um and so switch off do something relaxing now i can't tell you how to relax i mean relaxation is individual but you need to do something whether that's drinking hot milky drink um meditation mindfulness those adult coloring in books or listening to Pink Floyd really loudly. It doesn't really matter what you do, as long as you do something which is not work, not stressful. And I think the problem is that most people don't. Most people's bedtime routine is to switch the TV off, have a pee, brush their teeth and flop into bed mm. um, and not take that time. And this is a problem because the minute you get into bed, uh, it's dark, it's quiet, your mind is able to to fixate on you know the internal, the worry, the stresses, the anxieties, and you will just play them over. And the minute you start doing that, you're, you're banishing sleep. So you need to do something for about 30, 45 minutes before bed. You need to do something nice, quiet, relaxing. But that's down to you as an individual to find out what they, that may be. And I've heard many people... Those of those a lot of people advocate reading and listening to radio or, or podcasts or something. But a lot of people have said that you must avoid the blue light. This idea of actually it's a great idea to go on Facebook or on your iPad or any other device for the thirty minutes before you go to sleep because that's the the sort of worst thing you can do, really, isn't it? It is, uh, and and the blue light story has become really sort of quite current. However, the issue is that um, even before we knew about blue light, we knew about the problem with screens, that you know, by watching TV, or uh, which it was in those days, that would be cognitively arousing you. So we've always had the prohibition against screens in the bedroom. The issue with the blue light, blue light is the wavelength of light that simulates sunlight and that therefore tells the brain that you're awake. So all the time you're looking at screens that are rich in blue light, that suppressing melatonin, the messenger that the brain sends out saying, you know, it's time to go to sleep and starts the cascade of events that allow you to fall asleep. Um, now, a lot of uh, apps and, and software now have 
the ability to uh, filter out the blue light, uh, but there was very recent research that shows even if you do strip out the blue light, uh, that actually makes no difference to the disruptive effects of screens. And so uh, that paper actually suggested that you should avoid screens for two hours before bed, um, which I think is, you know, whilst that may be scientifically valid, I think that's impossible advice to give. I think 30 minutes is probably something that people may be willing to do. The problem, of course, and is a very simple problem, the vast majority of people these days don't actually own an alarm clock. They use their mobile phones. Right. And so they actually put their mobile phone right next to the bed. And so they find it difficult to resist the temptation. And then, of course, you've got all these sleep apps that actually run on a phone. So you actually have to interact with the phone to set up your sleep app. And that seems to be uh, rather a, a negative uh, design feature of these devices. Hmm. Interesting. And, and I guess one of the problems, especially if you're anxious, that happens to many people is this idea that they wake up during the night and then they can't get back to sleep again. Is there, is there any advice and guidance that, that sort of tends yeah. to work there? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the advice for, 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 for waking up in the middle of the night is, is to not remain in bed. Uh, if you've woken up for 20 minutes in the middle of the night and you can't fall back to sleep, then get up, go to another room and do something else, relaxing until you feel sleepy again and then go, then go back to bed. Because all the time that you're lying in bed, uh, you're getting ever more frustrated, you're getting ever more anxious about not falling back to sleep and you know you're, you're catastrophizing as to how bad your day is going to be because you've not fallen back to sleep and therefore you'll definitely not fall back to sleep so it, it's counterproductive so to break that cycle i mean for many people it, it's almost enough just to get up and go to the bathroom and have a, have a pee mm. whether you need to or not even that is enough to break that cycle of worries, but just lying in a in a dark, quiet room, um, you know, you will, as I say, fixate on that internal narrative, and that may not be beneficial for, for for your sleep or for getting back to sleep. What what causes people to wake up during the middle of the night? Is it? I mean, I mean, at some level, at the physical level, if you need to go to the toilet, I guess, you know, your body triggers you. You start to wake yeah. up, but but otherwise, you know, why, why might you suddenly wake up? The, probably the, the most important reason is, is your bed partner. I published a paper back in 2005 um, from the University of Surrey with the sociology department that shows that you know, a good proportion of your uh, sleep disturbance is caused by your bed partner. Uh, so their movements or the noises they make during the night may significantly impact uh, on your sleep. I mean, if you think about it, the World Health Organization says that to get a good night's sleep, your bedroom should be no quite no louder than 35 decibels uh, with a few intermittent peaks, whereas a snorer is going to be sort of 85 decibels. So, um, you know, if your partner snores or if they move or if they, if they do something else during the night, that's probably going to be the biggest cause of you waking up. Uh, and of course, that doesn't help because they're blissfully asleep, snoring away, and you're awake thinking that they're just doing that to annoy you. Um, and that, again, sort of causes that catastrophization and you know, doesn't help the marital uh, harmony. 
when you start thinking about that by your partner. So, yeah, getting up to go to the bathroom or your partner probably accounts for, you know, probably about 80% of the awakenings. Noises in the environment, um, you know, those, those sorts of things. I've heard a number of people arguing the merits or demerits of the sort of during-the-day catnap as well. I wonder what your view is on those. You know, this idea that you can just sort of exist on 20 minutes or that if you're feeling tired that it's okay to drop, you know, to have a quick 20-minute kip. Uh, have you any views on that? Yeah, I mean, napping napping is beneficial. I mean, I, I back in the in the 80s, was doing uh, work on, on napping for, for the Royal Air Force uh, to how to cope with, with shift work and, and also in, in flight. Um, uh, because... If you've got to work overnight, you know you've got to pull a, a you know twenty-four hour shift. Uh, you then have to you know get through that, and uh, a, a twenty-minute nap is vastly more effective in helping you do that than having you know a couple of cups of coffee or whatever. Um, and the same is true during the day. If you feel sleepy during the day, then a twenty-minute nap will boost your performance by you know, approximately 20% for, you know, an hour or so. Um, so, yes, if you are sleepy and you are one of these types of people who can nap, I mean, personally, I can't nap for the life of me, but some people can disengage from the world and easily nap, then a 20-minute nap is much better than, say, than drinking, you know, black coffee or having a couple of caffeine pills or, or functional energy drinks. But the, however, the question you then must ask yourself is why do you need to nap during the day? If, you, if you've had enough sleep during the night, you won't need to nap during the day. And so, you know, a lot of people argue that, you know, your employee, your employer should allow you to nap during the day. Um, but why should he allow you to do that if you, the reason why you need to nap is that you've been up all night watching the telly? Yes. You know, you, you wouldn't go to work and say, you, you, you need to give me, um, you know, aspirin for my hangover. It's your responsibility. If you want me to work well, you have to treat my hangover. No company on earth would, you know, con you, you agree to that. So why would why would an employer agree to allow you to not turn up well rested and to give you the antidote? And the other thing, I mean, you know, all these companies um, who provide the ability to nap, that just makes it actually more normal for you to spend longer hours at work. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so what you're doing is is you you're appearing friendly, but however. It, it's, it's, it's a slight con, to be honest. Um, I mean, there was one major software company that we all know um, that um, you're never more than 200 feet away from free food at their HQ. Mm. And you might think, oh, isn't that lovely? But it just means you never have to leave your desk to get food. You never have to leave the office. Mm. Um, you know, as they always say, there's no such thing as a free lunch. So the idea that you can, you know, a company can work you stupid hours and allow you to have a nap because of that doesn't seem to, to be the the nicest thing to do. Yes. So, so it makes sense if you're needing. Because I would 
I would have always almost thought that if you need to nap during the day, then you take a nap. That's going to affect your sleep at night, which is going to lead again to this sort of this vicious circle or cycle almost. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing with napping is that it, this is why it's a 20 minute nap. A 20 minute nap it should allow you to get some of the benefits of, of, of a nap without actually being sufficiently long to, to, to dis disturb your sleep at night. Sleeping for or having a two-hour nap during the day will almost certainly uh, diminish your sleep at night. So the, the, the quick power nap is fine. Anything longer than 20 minutes is really a no-no. Mm. Uh, this is absolutely fascinating. I could talk to you all day about this because someone has post-sleep themselves. It's I'm finding it really interesting however i know that you're going to write a book to distill a lot of this knowledge so and that's coming at back end of july 2008, 2018 so tell me a bit about that well i mean the book is called how to sleep well um and it as I say it's coming out on the 27th of july 2018 um it's published by wiley capstan and essentially, it's the distillation of my 36 years experience in, in the sleep field. So it discusses the importance of sleep, but it's, it's really based on, a, on the sort of common sense premise. So it's not going to promise you miracles or magic. It's going to promise you that if you just make a small change in thinking about getting a better night's sleep tonight, then you will feel better tomorrow. And if you get a better night's sleep tomorrow night, you will feel better the next day. Mm -hmm. And so it's not talking, it's not a doom and gloom book. It's not we're all going to die if we don't sleep well. Because that frankly isn't true. It's about living your life happier, healthier, more productively because you've put sleep, you've given sleep a bit more importance in your life and you want to make just a small change or the small changes needed to get better sleep so the the thing is most people don't have insomnia most people to be honest don't really have a problem with their sleep mm. they just can't be bothered yeah. um, and as i say we spend time and money on trying to feel happy and healthy and you know we'll go to the gym for an hour a day um and we we see the point of that um but as i say it's that that gratification so it's not if you sleep well you'll reduce a very small statistical risk of developing heart disease by a slight amount because that's not a motivator the fact is, if you get a good night's sleep tonight, you will be happier, healthier. You'll be a nicer person. People will like you more. They'll actually think you're more attractive. You'll do better at your job just by getting a good night's sleep. And that's got to be a good thing um, if, if you see it that way. So, so that's the premise of the book. It's not, it's not trying to scare you. It's not trying to berate you. It's just saying, come on. You know, you know how good a good night's sleep is and how good it makes you feel. And you know how bad you feel after a bad night's sleep. So why do you keep getting a bad night's sleep? What's in it for you having a bad night's sleep? If all that means is you're chatting to your imaginary friends on Facebook 
and watching funny cat videos. That's not a good enough reason to forgo something which is so good for you. And let's be honest, one of our greatest pleasures. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think I started by saying that I'm a, I'm a great fan of sleep and, you know, I've been a fan all my life and I, I've recognised the benefits. And you're absolutely right, you know, you, you know when you've had a bad night's sleep you, and, and yeah. you, you know you tend to eat badly the next day and you tend to, um, you know, do things which are less healthy for you. So it, it, it is, it's almost like this, the trigger, isn't it, that, that, that aligns everything else rather than being something that you just leave to chance. Yeah, I mean, and this is it. People, people see nowadays see sleep as the thing you have to do at the end of the day because it's unavoidable, yeah. rather than something that you should do because it's good. And as I say, other things like diet or exercise have been made to be sexy and to be aspirational and to be good. Um, you know, if I were to say to you, I eat my five a day fruit and vegetables, or I run five miles a day, you'd go, well done, good for you. Yeah. If I say I go to bed at nine o'clock and sleep for nine hours, you go, you're a sad person with no friends. Yeah. But to me, that's what I need to do to feel at my best. And if I don't do that, it doesn't matter if I try to eat healthily or I try to exercise. But sleep is seen as laziness. It's seen as a waste of time, whereas other things seem to have a virtuousness about them, whereas sleep isn't accorded that virtue. It's not seen as a good thing that you want to go to sleep no. or to prioritise your sleep. Well, there's no, and that, as there is no sort of effort involved, is there? I mean, you know, the virtuousness of effort, which is yes. <laughs> decision fatigue coming from resisting food or uh, the upside of, um, well, the supposed upside of exercises. There's no, there's no real effort involved in sleep. Absolutely. <laughs> I, love, I love that idea of I go to bed at nine o'clock and I've had a good night's sleep and, and people just say to you, well, I can do it in four hours. And, and you get that sort yeah. of macho competition, don't you, about who can exist on the least night's sleep. Yeah, I mean, that that's it. You know, this, this whole thing, you know, whenever sleep is talked about, there's always this and Margaret Thatcher yeah. only slept four hours a night. Well, one, there was no, no evidence of this. And two, when Charles Moore wrote her biography, he actually said that this was just a rumour put around because she didn't wish to appear weak. She, you know, she had a, an all-male all cabinet um, and she couldn't, as a woman, appear weak and needing sleep. And this is... You know, this, okay, there's been a renaissance of this idea of sleep being a good thing, but you still get these stories on the internet about, oh, you know, the CEO of this or that company only sleeps for four hours. And you think, well, yeah, so how is this a good thing to be promoting rather than, you know, getting that good night's nice sleep? And the other thing, um, you know, if, if you relate it to, to, to diet and exercise or, you know, if your partner, say, was a vegetarian, they wouldn't expect you to, you know, be a vegetarian. If your partner wants to go to the gym, they wouldn't insist that you go to the gym with them. You know, and yet with our sleep, uh, we are sort of in, we're beholden to our partners. It's, it's you know, thought of as correct that we both go to sleep at the same time even though that's actually a time that doesn't suit either of us. So, so we, are, we, we, we're not, we don't think rationally about our sleep and we don't discuss it in our relationship. So it's the one part of 
your life that you never speak to your partner about. Well, you do. You shout at them for ruining your life because they were snoring all night. Um, but you never talk about your wants, your needs, your expectations of sleep, when you want to go to bed, when, you know, what you know, what the etiquette is if you need to go to the bathroom at night, who's setting what alarm. It's, it's not done like that. People, people just, you know, say judge each other, say nasty things about sleep and never really logically think about their sleep. Yeah. Neil, that's been fantastic. Thank you so much for um, your input today. It's been brilliant. I really enjoyed it. Just remind me the name of that book again. The book is called How to Sleep Well and it's out on the 27th of July 2018. Well, I hope people flock to it. And uh, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much. You take care. We hope you found today's podcast useful. If you did, why not subscribe and listen to our other podcasts? We would love it if you could leave us a review. To access our resilience coaching, contact us at info at qedod.com. And finally, if you'd like to download our free resilience ebook, go to qedod.com slash free ebook. Thanks for listening.